22 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's our Shop Stewards Corner segment. I'm in conversation with the director of the ILO's Pretoria office, Dr. Johnny Musabayana, to talk about some of the conventions of the ILO, in particular now Convention 154, around collective bargaining. And in so doing, if you just joined us, we're just talking about how the ILO operates and how signatories to some of its conventions are uh, anticipated or expected to behave. And I guess, uh, Dr. Musabayana, you were talking about the role of uh, supervisory structures and uh, who would then, of course, advise on how uh, some of these um, violations, where they occur in implementation, can be remedied. And I'm quite interested in that process uh, and what those remedial steps might look like and uh, what happens and what kind of sanction is meted out uh, if uh, a, a nation state that is a signatory to a certain convention fails to remedy the breach. Um, I thank you for this question. So, remember I highlighted the, the, the gaps in compliance in terms of law, but also in terms of practice. Now, when it's an issue of practice, um, the, the ILO will receive a complaint to the extent that the national processes have been exhausted. Now, that is particularly important in this case because if I understand well, the parties are before the Labour Court, if I understand well, in the course of this week. And the Labour Court will apply its mind and come up with a with a judgment. Um, so I'm not in a position to prejudge the merits on either side, but mm. we are happy that an institution of Labour administration in the country is applying itself to this issue sure, and sure. Will, 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 will give a judgment. Mm. Now, so, so how do you normally respond in a context like that? Uh, sorry, Johnny. I mean, where, where, where a certain court is seized with the matter uh, and say you get a sort of written correspondence from one of the parties involved, in this case, Kosatu. How would you deal with that? Would you wait for the court to sort of complete its affairs before you would, uh, I guess, uh, dispatch a team that would look into the matter? Absolutely, I will not. Uh, remember that the ILO has been an active participant in the establishment of the institutions of the labor market in this country. Mm. If you talk about the CCMA, the support to the labor courts, um, the support to the bargaining councils, uh, like the Public Service Collective Bargaining Council. So all of these are institutions of of labor administration to address disputes that come up in the process of uh, labor administration. So the ILO would normally wait for the national processes to be exhausted. And if after that process has been uh, exhausted at the national level, any Mm -hmm. one of the parties may still feel aggrieved, it is often so that then they would approach uh, the supervisory bodies of the the ILO. Um, And then uh, there is a committee of experts on the application of standards, and then there is uh, the Committee on Freedom of Association the Conference Committee on Freedom of Association, which actually is chaired by very, our, one of our own, Dr. Ivan Skalula. And, and then those two bodies would then apply their minds to the, to the issue at hand. That's how the system works. So normally, national processes have to be exhausted uh, for the issue to be receivable by the ILO bodies, supervisory mm, bodies. Mm. Can, can you share any other, I guess, experiences where you know countries have 
receive this kind of scrutiny for not being able to implement some of this in practice? Uh, just maybe, I guess, give us uh, uh, some of those experiences and uh, what has happened uh, in some of those instances uh, by way of sort of remedial action. So, so we have, we have, uh, if I could say, a, a sub-region. If you talk about the Sadak sub-region, we have a good history of, uh, or should I call it, an unfortunate history, in fact, of engagement between the supervisory bodies and uh, member states. Now, recall that all member states write, all the member states get opinions, views, suggestions, strong opinions from the supervisory bodies on how to improve uh, the law. But in practice, we have, for example, Zimbabwe, we have, for example, Eswatini, which have had a long-running, unfortunate history of engagement with particularly the Committee on Application of Standards. And, and this generally has related to, let me say, the absence of sufficient space for, for trade union movements in particular to, to, to operate according to the dictates of the conventions and then the domestication of those conventions into, into international law. And so that essentially means when unions want to exercise their right to freedom of association and collective bargaining, normally state actors intercede with that practice and in the process find themselves uh, falling foul of the conventions and therefore those cases being receivable, uh, mainly on the committee on application of, of standards. So that is the, those are the normal type of examples that we have when unions mm. want to ex- exercise their right to, to strike uh, in the streets when collective bargaining has reached a deadlock. Then oftentimes member states use the police services or indeed the intelligence services, or unfortunately sometimes even we've seen cases of the army going into the streets as in Zimbabwe and shooting workers who are exercising their right to freedom of uh, expression mm-hmm. on violations regarding uh, various elements of collective bargaining. So there's that ex- uh, those examples. And so the, the case at hand, I think, of um, um, challenges regarding compliance with the collective bargaining agreement, not being privy to the details of the case, I think is rather the exception than the rule in terms of mm. what kinds of cases come to the ILO for compliance. Normally it has sure. to do with this respect for freedom of association in particular and the right yeah. of unions to, to exercise their, their, their right to withdraw their labor and to, to undertake strikes as prescribed in the mm. law. That's where normally we, we find this uh, interaction between the supervisory bodies and the countries. Yeah, yeah. Just the last question, last question on my end, uh, Dr. Musabayan, and I guess this is a more sort of reflective uh, comment, just about what this particular moment, what with COVID-19 and, um, you know, the, the, the kind of response and recovery measures that have been coordinated by many nations. Are, are you starting to see, I mean, as uh, maybe Kosatu is suggesting here, that even in other jurisdictions, uh, uh, collective bargaining platforms or platforms for social dialogue, uh, especially as it relates to the workplace, are coming under greater attack, or uh, has, have we started to see the opposite, where I think COVID-19 and some of the subsequent containment measures have also opened up the space for much greater social dialogue and much more uh, a collective uh, bargaining and collective agreement? I think that is a particularly key issue that you raise, that we, we are in the, in, in some ways, the unknown. COVID has, has brought not only a health crisis, but a labor market crisis. A labor market crisis, um, which is 
in some ways it has two contradictory tendencies. On the one hand, we have seen lockdowns that in many countries all over the world have not been implemented uh, through the exercise of social dialogue. And therefore, organized labor and organized business has not always been on the table. Or if they've been on the table, their views have not always been globally been taken on the determination of the lockdown. And uh, the government has normally taken quite often uh, across, the, across the globe unilateral decisions on lockdown. What we have then seen um, with time is then the gradual easing. And that gradual easing has slowly begun to be undertaken with social dialogue, with uh, employers and workers being party to the dialogue, but not always in many cases. So you have seen the COVID pandemic on the one hand leading to a willful disregard for social dialogue and social dialogue processes regarding the governance of the labor market. And then on the other hand, you have seen a gradual return to dialogue and 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 uh, attempted reaching consensus and i think we may have seen also uh, organized business in particular sectors uh, raising issues with the authorities about the impact of of covid and prolonged lockdowns i think we've seen sectors like the tourism sector uh, the hospitality sector and how hard hit they have been and the measures that have been put in place as they reach the end the return of social social dialogue so we've seen this these two contradictory tendencies. Sure. Um, but how, how it will unfold in the future, I think, depends really on what happens with the mm. pandemic as well. But I think generally member states are realizing that it's better to put social dialogue at the center of the response sure. to the pandemic because if, if social dialogue is not there at the beginning, it will become a much harder ask to return to the social dialogue mm. table mm. later on as you consider various either lockdown, um, further lockdowns, as we've seen, talks about uh, the second wave, and we've seen what is happening in Europe, for example. Mm, mm. So so COVID has really challenged labor market institutions and labor market actors. But let me also say that the, 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 the physical strain that member states have also felt because of COVID reduced uh, tax revenues, due to reduced economic activity, and on the other hand, um, the, the heavy uh, bailout uh, packages, uh, financing windows that have been put uh, at the disposal of member states have generally led to a much greater challenge in terms of the ability of uh, both uh, employers in the public and private sectors to meet their collective bargaining obligations as may have been agreed prior to the advent of, 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 of COVID. So really, COVID is wreaking havoc with what were what was seen as normal, and hence the new normal is a new normal where we have now, let's say, much greater unpredictability about things that in the past mm. you could have a three-year yeah. agreement, and all parties would meet their commitments. But with COVID, not so, and that's what we mm. are seeing. Over to you. It seems that uh, the time of force majeures, Dr. Musabayana. As always, a pleasure catching up with you, and uh, thank you very much for taking time out this evening to explain to us the uh, machinations within the ILO, how uh, that uh, august institution operates. And uh, thank you very much, as always, for taking time out and uh, being available to speak to us at short notice. Thank you very much.